Psalms. And let's go to Psalm 37. And uh, while you're turning there, I don't know how many of you got Sandy Keaton's email about her apartment ministry. But Sandy, how many people did you have to come back for the back to school bed? We had 80 kids, five mothers, one grandmother, one father, and back to school with Jesus. Yeah, 80 kids, plus grandparents, fathers, caregivers. And uh, that's unbelievable. You know, the Lord is just using Sandy, and we want to thank you for supporting our ministry. Okay, let's look at Psalm 37. Now, the first thing you'll notice in Psalm 37 is it has 40 verses. So what we're going to do is we're going to divide this psalm and uh, do up through 26 today. And then next week we'll finish out the psalm. And I think that will work real well. You see from the superscription that it's a psalm of David. And that's all we know about this psalm except uh, because it doesn't give us any more information. And... We do know that it's an acrostic psalm, which means that uh, every other verse starts with uh, a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, you cannot see that in our English translation. Now, what we have here is that David writes this psalm when he's an old man. Now, we know that because if you look at verse 25, here's what he says. I have been young and now am old. So what we have here is we have uh, reflections from a man who has lived long, and he's going to give you some wisdom that he's gained over the years. So let's, let's, uh, let's just start at verse 1. Here's what he said. This is the context. Uh, do not fret. So there's his first statement. Do not fret. And he gives us the, the context of fretting, or not fretting, because of evil doers. Now what we're going to see in these Psalms is we're going to see that David gives us the accumulation of his wisdom over the years, and he's going to give us what we're going to call eight or nine precepts or rules to live by. So if you could distill all of David's wisdom down to eight or nine rules, that's what he's going to be laying out right here. So these are not words of wisdom from somebody that's still green behind their ears. To somebody who's been there, done that, learned lessons, and now they're elderly and they want to pass these lessons on to their people. Now, I just look across this classroom and just think about how many years of experience is sitting here in this classroom. To add up everybody's age, and it's literally thousands of years of experience. Thousands of years of experience. Thousands of years of experience, and over those years, there's an accumulated wisdom that's right here in this room. And it's wisdom that includes knowledge about politics, business, family, human affairs, psychology, all kinds of things. I needed wisdom. I could find the wisdom and advice I needed on any subject right here in this classroom. Now, you know how valuable that wisdom is? You can market it. How that much valuable it is? Well, David here is distilling life's lessons down to eight or nine rules or precepts. And he's going to give them to us. And I'm going to point them out to you along the way. Okay? So, the context, the first 
precept is found in verse 1, and he gives us the context. Precept number 1, or rule number 1, is do not fret. That's his piece of advice. Okay? And the context he's talking about is because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. So what he's saying is there are people out there who are evil that are succeeding. And they're, they're wicked people. And they appear to be very successful. He says when you look at these people, rule number one is don't fret about that. And don't worry. Don't say, that's not fair. They shouldn't be blessed like that. Look at what I'm going through. So that's precept number one. And he gives us the reason. Look at verse two. For they will soon be cut down like the grass. That means they're going to die. And wither as the green herb. So in other words, don't be envious of people who have made all this wealth that are evil. You know what's going to happen to them? They're going to die and they're going to lose it all. And that's going to be their reward. They're just going to die. And in the end, justice is going to prevail. They might seem like they're successful now, but they really aren't successful. So, here's the rule. Don't fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious of them. For they're going to soon be cut down. Their life is short. And they're going to wither like grass. So, here's... You want to look at sort of between the lines. You can say, don't be, don't be fretful of success of evil people. <clears throat> don't look at the present and judge everything by the present. Look to the future, and then you'll get a quick, you'll get a correct evaluation. And the future of these people is what? They're going to die. Okay? God's going to take care of them in His time. Now look at precept number two. Down in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. There's rule number 2. Trust in the Lord and do good. Now, in verse 1, we're told what we're not to do. Do not fret. Okay? In verse 3, we're told what to do. Trust in the Lord. Trust or faith is the cure for fretting. Don't look at other people. Oh, that's not... Just... Trust the Lord and He'll take care of you. Don't worry about others. Trust the Lord and the Lord will bless you. And He says, do good. Doesn't He say that? Do good. A lot of people say, I trust the Lord. And guess what? They don't do anything that's good. It's all a talk. Now, He doesn't define for us yet what it means to do good, but He will later on and you'll see this. So, here's the thing. They are going to die... See? And we are to trust in the Lord and do good. And look at the end of verse 3. And here's what we're going to do. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. He'll, he will take care of us. They will die and God will take care of us. Now look at the third piece of advice that He gives. The third precept found in verse 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. If you make God your delight, and you just want to relish in God's presence, then what will happen is that He will be the source of your joy and not carnal things. 
Make God your delight. Don't make your possessions your delight. Make God your delight. And He will give you the desires of your heart. There's two key words there. Delight and desires. Now, if God is your delight, if you find your satisfaction in the Lord, your desires will be His desires. And uh, you'll do what He wants you to do. So, that's the next one. Delight yourself in the Lord. So, we have don't fret, trust in the Lord, and then delight yourself also in the Lord. Now, look at precept number four. Verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in Him. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in Him. And He will bring it, meaning your way, your plans, to pass. So, all you have to do is commit your ways to the Lord and He'll bring it to pass. Just like a farmer. Farmer puts the seed in the ground. Guess what he does? Does he fret? He just commits what he's done to the Lord and he waits. And this is going to be a key word here. He waits until the harvest time and he gets the harvest. He puts it in God's hands in due season. Now notice the verbs there. Notice in verse 4, you see the word shall. You like yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Look in verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust Him also, and He shall bring it to pass. So the way we live now will affect our future. If we trust in the Lord, we delight in the Lord, we commit our ways to the Lord, then our future is in His hands. He shall bring it to pass. So we shouldn't be judging ourselves and comparing ourselves to others. Look at verse 6. He shall, there's shall again, bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. When all is said and done, it will be revealed who has his blessing. These people will die and lose everything they have, but you will be vindicated for everybody to see. It will be like the noonday light, what he said. So the wicked will be cut off, the righteous will be vindicated, and then we'll see that it's worth it all. Now look at precept number 5, found in verse 7. Rest in the Lord. Look at that. Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for Him. Now the word in Hebrew for rest is be silent. Be silent in the Lord. In other words, commit yourself to Him, trust Him, and keep your mouth shut. Don't fret. Don't gripe. Don't complain don't say that's not fair just like the farmer don't say now there's old farmer Jones over here and he's an old evil cuss and look at the crops that he gets that's not fair you don't do that you keep silent see? and then what do you do in verse 7 you rest in the Lord and then you what you wait you wait what do you wait for that's how you wait. You wait patiently. Not wait like this. <laughs> how do you wait? You wait patiently. Who do you wait for? You wait for him. You wait for him. So the wicked man, what he does is he just takes things into his own hands. And he schemes and connives and cheats and oppresses and 
does all these things and he gains his wealth. And you say, oh, that's not fair. Don't worry. He's going to get his. He's going to be cut down very soon. He'll be cut down to size and he will die. He'll be judged. You trust, commit, delight, wait, don't fret, keep silent, wait patiently for him. Okay? So that's the, that's the next precept. Okay? Now look at precept number six. And for end of verse seven says, by the way, and do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. So again, he tells us not to fret about those people who are always scheming and they get ill-gotten gain. Okay, the next precept, verse eight. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. How many times have we seen fret so far? At least three times. So would you say that you're not to fret? <laughs> yeah, okay, don't worry, don't be jealous, right? Do not fret, watch this. It only causes harm. Harm to whom? Yeah, harm to you. Doesn't cause that guy harm. It causes harm to you. You say, that's not fair. You know, I think I'm going to try something like this. And I'm going to scheme to... Hey, don't fret. It's only going to cause harm to you. Now look at the word cease there in verse 8. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Now when you think about that, cease from anger and forsake wrath. If I told you, cease from doing that, what does that imply? Stop it. That means you're doing it. So he's dealing with people that are fretting. <laughs> you see, he's having to tell them to forsake that. If I say forsake that, what does that mean? Stop forsaking that. It means they've been, been doing that. Forsake that. Give that up. Stop your fretting. So uh, he's giving them instructions to stop doing certain things, and then he's giving them reverse instructions. How to do things. Now look at the reason. You're to cease from being angry. And you're to forsake wrath. Look at this. Verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off. Has he said that before? Yes. They're going to get theirs. They're going to die. Now watch this. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Have you ever heard of that language before? They shall inherit the earth. Where have you ever heard that before? All oh, the Beatitudes. In fact, I'll make a claim that Jesus teaching in the Beatitudes is a commentary on Psalm 37. Okay? Who inherits the earth? What's it say there? In verse 9. The evildoers be cut off, but those who what? wait on the Lord will inherit the earth. So, if you decide you're going to fret, you're going to do all these other things, you're not going to obey the rules, you don't inherit the earth, but those that wait, wait for who? For God to do things on your behalf, you shall inherit the earth. So here we see this uh, what means is that, and what are you going to inherit? The earth. In the end, guess what? Everything's reversed. All that the evil have, guess what? It becomes yours. 
It doesn't say you'll go to heaven. So a lot of people say, well, you know, things aren't too good down here, but one day I'm going to walk the streets of gold. Not talking about that's when you're going to get it. He's saying justice one day will be done and you're going to inherit the earth. See? Look at verse 10. For yet a little while and the wicked shall be no more. That means they're going to die. Okay? Now, how many times have you seen that? Indeed, you will look carefully for his place. But it shall be no more. There's going to come a day when that person who's connived and has been evil and is wicked and has succeeded, there's going to come a day when his office chair is going to be empty. And you're going to knock on the door and say, Is Mr. Smith here? And they say, Oh, he died a few weeks ago. And his appointment book's going to be closed and never opened again. And justice is going to be done. He's going to get what is his. And guess what? You're going to get what is yours. And what is yours is the earth. Okay? So there's no need for us to scheme and try to do things the way the world does things. That does not produce God's blessing. Look at verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth. And now we have the meek. Now that's a quote. Doesn't Jesus quote that verse? Yes, he quotes that verse. So I guess the meek are those who do what? Wait. The meek are those who wait on the Lord, who trust the Lord and commit their ways to the Lord. Who delight in the Lord. That's the meek. The meek isn't the Christian who says, I'm going to take the bull by the horns and just watch me do this. No, that's arrogance. That's not the person who inherits the earth. A lot of people who think they're going to inherit the earth are not going to inherit the earth. He says, but the meek, in contrast to those wicked people, will inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. So what we have is, the, we have here the character of the person who inherits the earth, and that's the meek person, the person who waits. And uh, one day we'll have the earth, and there will be a time of peace. These are promises made to God's people who are under his covenant, covenant people, people who keep the covenant. A lot of people who say, well, I believe in the Old Testament Jews said, I'm in the covenant, I'm in the covenant, I'm in the covenant, but they didn't live like they were in the covenant. David may even be speaking, the wicked people that he may be talking to may be talking about maybe Jews themselves. Who said, we're covenant people, we're children of God, but guess what? They don't live like it. For them, all they get is death. The wages of sin is what? Death. But the meek shall inherit the earth. So he may be describing that. So the character of the person who inherits the earth is the meek person. Now look at verse 12. The wicked plots against the just, the righteous person. And that's true. And gnashes at him with his teeth. So notice that the righteous person doesn't have it easy in this world. In fact, he has problems with the wicked person because the wicked person plots against the just person. So it doesn't mean that our life is going to be pleasant all the time when we're living here on the earth because there are people out here who would like to devour us. They don't like us. They want to get rid of us. Maybe at work you have a boss that wants to get rid of you because you're a Christian. 
They plot against that. They, here he says they gnash their teeth. You know, there's different things that they can do. They can gnaw on you. You know, you have a rat that gnaws on something. If they can't gnaw on you, guess what they'll do? They'll gnash their teeth. If they can't get away with doing that, they'll bark. You know, they'll do something. Because the evil people are against the just people. So, the whole while they're doing that, the whole while that they're plotting, look, the whole while that they're plotting against the just, what are the just doing? Trusting, committing, delighting. See? They're doing one thing, and we're doing the other. And so we see here this contrast. Now look at verse 13. Look what the Lord does. The Lord laughs at him. Why? Because he sees his day is coming. This is a Lord just laughs at all the efforts that the unjust people make in order to gain, get their ill-gotten gain, and to plot against the righteous people. The Lord just laughs at that. He's saying, "What a joke!" Because why does he laugh at them? In verse thirteen, he laughs at them because he sees the day coming. He sees their end. This is the amazing thing. Evil people don't see their end. They think that they can get away with this forever. It's just going to go on and on and on. They're going to live forever and they're going to just keep doing this and this and this. But guess what? The Lord sees their end and He laughs at it. He realizes everything they're doing is uh, useless. They're going to die and that's going to be the end of it. And guess what? We're persecuted against. Maybe. Maybe the unjust are plotting against us. But that's not our end. Our end is that we inherit the earth. See? So even though we may have some difficulties now, the Lord's not going to forsake us. And He's on our side. Look at verse 14. The wicked have drawn the sword. They'd kill you if they could. They have bent their bow. For what purpose? To cast down the poor and the needy. To slay those who are upright in conduct. So, here's what the here's how the rich get rich. First of all, they're gonna oppress the poor and the needy. And they'll buy a house and uh, in the bad neighborhood, and they will charge the poor and the needy an exorbitant price. And you know the story. This is just talking about people who take advantage of poor and needy people. That's what an evil person does. Takes advantage of poor and evil people. And then it says, not only do they do that, but in verse 14, they try to slay those who are upright in conduct. They hate you. The world hates you. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you. Because the world loves its own. But because you're not of the world, the world hates you. See, so they really don't like us. They hate us, these evil people. But then in verse 15 he says, The sword, however, watch this, The sword, however, shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. And so in other words, their plots will eventually come to an end. They will be defeated in the end. Their plots will backfire. Their swords will enter their own hearts, their own bodies. Just like King Saul fell on his own sword. Just like Mordecai 
Uh, Haman wanted to kill Mordecai on the gallows. Haman ends up on the gallows. Their plots are reversed, and they end up shooting themselves in their own foot. They have this big plot, but it ends up uh, coming upon them instead. Now look at verse 16. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. That's called an axiom or a truism. You want to know, if you want to have a truism, a proverb to live by, remember, a little that one righteous person has is better than the riches of the many wicked. Better than what what? How is the little bit that you might have better than the wealth of many wicked people? How is it better? What way is it better? Well, maybe you earned it honestly. It would be better that way, wouldn't it? You didn't do it on the back to the poor, did you? You didn't earn your money on the back to the poor. You didn't do it through plotting and scheming, did you? Your little has God's blessing. So a little that the righteous have is a lot when God's in it. Who had more? In God's opinion, Herod or John the Baptist? <laughs> John the Baptist. So little is more, it's better when God's in it. How is it better? Well, it doesn't define how it's better, but it's better in God's eyes for you to make an honest living and trust the Lord for your needs than to scheme and plot. And it's better. The little is better. He gives an explanation in verse 17 where he says this. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. So here we see that the Lord is going to uphold us, and the wicked again are going to meet their fate. Uh, they're going to, the wicked are in the hands of God, and they're going to be broken. The righteous are in the hands of God, and they're going to be vindicated. He's going to uphold us. Verse 18 says, The Lord knows the days of the righteous. You remember the others? Days that the Lord remembered? What's it say there? The Lord remembers. The Lord knows the days of the righteous. What else did the Lord know? Does He know the days of the wicked? What does He do when He thinks about the future of the wicked? He laughs. He knows what they're going to get. They're going to get what they deserve. But guess what else? 18 says, He knows the days of the righteous. And that their inheritance shall be forever. What are they going to inherit? Well, it's going to inherit the earth. Look at verse 19. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine, they, that is God's people, shall be satisfied. They will not be ashamed in the evil time. And we're living in this evil time. And David's day would have been an evil time. And they wouldn't have said, Oh, we have so little. We have so little. Compared to Mr. Wicked over there. We have, I'm ashamed to even be called a child of God. Look how I'm living. No. Don't be ashamed in the evil time. Just commit your way to the Lord. Delight in the Lord. That's what he's saying here. Trust in the Lord. And then he says... In 19, and in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. 
you're satisfied with a little now and you're just trusting the Lord, guess what? In the days of famine, you can be satisfied as well. What about the wicked people in the days of famine? When a great depression hits, when a double recession hits, when it's, when everything goes haywire, when the stock market goes down to 700, and there's no more people you can cheat because <laughs> no one has anything. And they've lost it all. What happened in the first Great Depression? Many people jumped out a window, didn't they? Couldn't handle it. In the day of depression, in the day of famine, guess what? We're going to be satisfied. You know why? Because our source is the Lord. He's going to take care of us. But the wicked will not be satisfied. You say, well, how can the Lord take care of us? He can take care of you any way He wants to take care of you. He can take care of you miraculously. He can multiply things. Did He ever multiply things in the life of Elijah and Jesus? And Can He multiply things? He can do it miraculously. He can do it naturally. He can bring a raven to feed you. <laughs> he can do it. Because you're trusting in Him. If you're trusting in Him, guess what? He's got the problem, not you. He'll determine how you're taken care of in the day of famine. Don't worry about that. Don't fret. Just trust. That's all you have to do. But in verse 20 says, But the wicked shall perish. So you'll be satisfied, but they're going to perish. They were used to living high off the hog, but now it's a day of famine. They're certainly not satisfied. They're going to perish. And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, beautiful one day, shall vanish. In the smoke, they shall vanish away. Here one day, gone the next. So why would you be jealous over them? That's their fate. Why should you fret over them? See, if this is their fate. Look at verse 21. This is a great one. The wicked borrows and does not repay. This would be retar- this would be talking about in bad times. Probably. Wicked borrows, and guess what he does? Doesn't repay. The soon. That's how they act. That's how the wicked act. They borrow and do not repay. Look at the end of verse 21. But the righteous shows mercy and does what? Now the righteous has little in this passage, but guess what? With the little bit they have, they still do something. They see somebody in need, they show mercy, and guess what they do? They give. Isn't that amazing? The wealthy in times of need borrow and then don't repay it. Their character remains the same. But here the righteous person shows mercy and gives. That's what it means to do good. Remember I said, first verse it said, and do good. Verse 3 said, and do good. What does it mean to do good? It means to show mercy. It means to give. Verse 22 says, for those blessed by him shall inherit the earth. Would you think that's one of the themes of this song? Did you ever see that phrase before? Back in 9, they shall inherit the earth. Back in 11, the meek shall inherit the earth. 22, those who are blessed by him shall inherit the earth. Look at verse 28. 29, at the end of, beginning of verse 29. 
The righteous shall inherit the earth. Look at verse 34. Wait on the Lord, keep His way. He shall exalt you to inherit the land. That's one of the themes. In the end, you'll be vindicated and you will inherit the earth. And the unrighteous will inherit nothing. All they get is death. Verse 22 says, For those blessed by Him, and that's those who trust, commit, delight, fret not, shall inherit the earth. But those cursed by Him shall be what? Cut off. They're going to die. Now watch this. The steps of a good man. That's the kind of people that you see that are called righteous. Are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, there are a couple options here. Option number one is that your life is not an accident. The things that happen in your life are not happenstance. Your steps are predetermined by the Lord. That would be if you, you know, are delighting in the Lord. Uh, God is happy with your life. He directs your life. At the end of verse 23 says, and He delights in His way. Maybe that means God delights in your way. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God delights in that good man's plans or his way. That's one thing. It could mean that. Another is, another option is this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. That means God gives you the rules by which to live. Here's the way I want your steps to go. Remember in Psalm 1, talked about how a person was to walk in the way. Psalm 1, the basis for all the psalms, if you've been with us for two years in this thing. God gives us the rules by which to live. He gives us precepts, like these precepts, which to live by. And when we do that, so that's what that would mean. The steps of the good man are ordered by the Lord. He gives us the rules to live by. And he, in this case, it would be the person, the good person, delights in God's way. We're not sure exactly which one that is. But in either case, it's a good situation. Look at verse 24. Though he fall, that's the good man, he shall not be utterly cast down. Because the Lord upholds him with his hand. So again, we see that the righteous will go through some persecution. Just because we are followers of God doesn't mean that we will not have difficulties, we'll definitely have difficulties, we may face disasters, he doesn't necessarily deliver us uh, from all the disasters, but when we're down, we're not out. He upholds us with his right hand. Think of uh, Job. Did Job go through a lot? He was down, but was he out? He wasn't out. Jonah. Joseph. Think of Joseph. Jesus. See, so that's what he's saying here. That though he fall, though he stumble, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him in his right hand. Now look at verse 25. What's the basis for all of what David has said? Here it is in verse 25. It's personal experience. For I've been young, and now I'm old. And he says, all this time, 
I have not seen the righteous forsaken. God has never forsaken a righteous person. But you have to define righteous by this definition. That's the person who trusts, delights, commits, so on and so forth, right? I, I was young and now I'm old. Here's all my here's a summary of my, all my years. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his seed, his children, out on the street corners with the sign, begging for bread. In all my years, I've never seen that. So, this is David's experience. And if this ever happens that one of the children end up begging for bread, David says, well, it, it, it can happen, but in my lifetime, I've never seen that so I'm going to tell you, he says, that should not happen if you are a righteous person. Because God will not forsake you, nor will he forsake his children. Uh, this verse had a particular meaning to me because I was in a very liberal church at one time, pastoring a liberal church. And, uh, in fact, I pastored a liberal church and uh, trying to determine whether I should stay in this church and continue to preach the gospel to these people. And on another occasion, I... Uh, was trying to determine whether I should go into full-time evangelistic ministry, which meant that I didn't know whether what my next dime was coming from. wasn't going to have a salary. I was going to step out on faith, trust the Lord for my needs and Lynn's needs and our children's needs, and uh, trusting the Lord to get me meetings and you know, all that. It's going to be full-time vocational evangelism. And I was trying to determine, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Is this what you want me to do? And I was reading through the Psalms of my I fell on that verse. I've been young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor to see baking bread. And I said, that's my answer. I can step out and if I do what's right, the Lord will not forsake me. He'll take care of me. And my kids will never beg for bread. And so, I left a pretty nice ministry and went into full-time evangelism not knowing where the next dollar was coming from. And guess what? None of us ended up on the street ever baked. Not once. He took care of every single me. Now look at verse 26. This is to the contrary. You won't be begging, but look at verse 26. He is ever merciful. That's the religious, that's the righteous person. He is ever merciful and lends. And his descendants are blessed. The righteous person is showing mercy and lends, gives, and as a result, his descendants are blessed. Believers are giving people. And the ungodly are not giving people. This is the basis for the verse, it's better to give than receive. In the giving comes the blessing. And it passed on to your children. God pays you back, and he pays you back with interest, and he takes care of your family, and he'll take care of your children. Now, that's a hard thing for most people to understand, that God will do something like that. But I, just take this class, for example. In the past 50 years, I want each one of you to think how much money you've given to the Lord's work. 
to multiply each year by 50. And then just think about that. And then think about that much money. Instead of giving it to the Lord's work, you put it in, you know, a bank account or stocks that grew 5 or 7% a year. You know how many millions of dollars that would be over 50 years? The compounded interest that you'd have right now in your hand? Had you not given? You'd say, I'm a rich person. That's human logic. That's human logic. No, you would be poorer than you are today in God's estimation. He promises that if you are showing mercy and you give to those in need, or you loan without interest to those in need, that He will bless you and He will bless your descendants. Not only will they not go begging bread, they'll be blessed. You're going to get a return plus interest. Now, the key is, in order to get this blessing, which includes inheriting the earth, is that you have to put something in. You don't get the blessing without putting something in. You can't be a Christian and say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm saved by grace, and I, you know, I don't believe in this, and, I don't believe, you know, and you just give a little. And you're stingy just like the unrighteous person. Then you don't get the blessing. See? So the blessing comes not only in the giving, but the blessing comes in the inheritance. Now, so this is really important that we get this. This is the way that David says believers are to live. Now, it gives us eight or nine rules to live by, and we've looked at six. And uh, since there are 14 more verses to go, we'll stop here and we'll pick up at verse 27 next week. But I want to leave you with one lesson. If I could put all this into one lesson, I would say this. When you look at life situation, and the situation you're in, doesn't matter what it's financial, whatever the situation is, and you see wicked people out there doing very ungodly things and getting rich, doing ungodly things. There's nothing wrong with wealth, as long as it's earned honestly. But you're looking at these people and they're doing all these wicked things, and you say, that's not fair, they shouldn't be blessed like that. They're not being blessed. Actually, that's a curse upon them. And they're going to get their due. But when you see that, you need to look at things not from a human perspective. Don't look at the situation out there from a human perspective. Look at it through the eyes of God. Look at it through a divine perspective. Okay? It's a matter of perspective, how you see things. Okay? Don't be short-sighted. Oh, look at them, they're getting rich, and look at me, I'm poor. That's short-sighted. Look at things... From a long-sighted view, look at the big picture. And in the big picture, what happens to the wicked? They're cut off. What happens to the righteous? They inherit the earth. See, if we can look at things from that perspective, we'll discover that the person who commits to the Lord, trusts the Lord, delights in the Lord, serves the Lord, gives to the poor, meets the needs of people, they're the ones that God blesses, and not only them, their kids as well. Hey, you want to bless your kids? Do what this says, and for generations to come, God will bless you. We'll stop there and pick up at verse 27 next week. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a psalm that gives us some rules to live by. Help us to see things through your eyes. 
Help us never to be jealous of others who seem to be getting ahead and we struggle. Help us to realize, Lord, that it's in doing good that we're blessed. Just as you've done good toward us, we're to do good toward others and we're to reflect your character. And when we do that, and we represent you in that way, and we trust you implicitly, you will bless us. Oh Lord, help us to realize that what we see now is not what will be in the future. But indeed, we have a promise that those that wait upon you, those who are meek, keep their mouths shut, don't gripe and complain, say it's not fair, are the ones who inherit the earth. Oh Lord, help us to be those people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.